Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, we praise you, Lord. We love you. Lord, we love you. We honor you, God. We bless your name. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Lord, you're teaching us by example. That's what's going on this week. You're teaching us by example. Because you want to take us deeper into these things, Lord. And it's not enough to hear it, Lord. We need to be a part of it. And that's what you've done in our midst this week. And we're so thankful, Lord. We're so grateful. You are the one that we love and that we love to worship and spend our time on, Lord. Just spend our whole life on you, God. Lord, nothing else satisfies and nothing else compares. We honor you, God. We honor you. You, Jesus. You're the king. You're the one that gets the glory. We love you so much, God. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so one of the things with worship, corporate worship, because that's the topic today, although I don't know the title. I never know the title. But if Harry keeps playing and we keep waiting, God keeps coming. That's just how it is. (laughs) And what happens is he'll give a sentence or a song to somebody and they'll sing it out. And we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's really anointed or whatever word you want to use. And then, like, that'll peter out, and then we'll just keep going. And then some, something else will happen. Like Sarah was singing Hosanna at one point, and then she was singing, Strength will rise as we wait, and wait upon the Lord, and all these things that are happening. So one of the things in corporate worship is on a down wave, if you want to say it like that. And forgive my terms if you don't like them. It's just semantics. But, like, I don't know. You know, I'm just, just sharing my heart. I'm not trying to say a wrong term. It was like when we're on a down wave... That's what we want to like, okay, good. We're good because we're, we're sensing that there's a, that there's like a lowering. But with the Lord and with the tearing, if you just continue, it'll, it'll always just come back around. Because what he's really looking for is a heart that is yielded to him and saying, you know what? I'm going to worship you. And then on the down wave, don't sweat it. Some worship teams don't, like a lot of worshipers don't know how to do that. There's a down wave and they're like, oh, and then there's panic. And just wait. Just wait on him. He's the same God in private worship as he is in corporate worship. So if you're worshiping privately and you're, you know how, to, how that flows in and out, it'll be no big deal when you're up here. And when I used to train worship leaders, I would say to them, um, you know, it feels like a million years when you're waiting and it's only been 10 seconds. Just like when you start praying in tongues, right? It feels long, like crackers or whatever. Pastor Dave, funniest, when he, all of the examples Pastor Dave would give, you know, you just, you picture them. Like crackers in your mouth, you know, spit, 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 and all these, the dust is coming out and all these things he would say. It's how it feels sometimes in worship too. But you can always push past the down moment, if you want to say it like that. The down wave. The wave where you kind of feel like, oh, okay, that part's over. But then God will always pick it back up if you stay in there with him. And we're not talking about faking it. We're talking about putting your flesh in its place, right? Putting my flesh in its place. Because I have to do this too. Just because I've been leading worship for a long time, 25, 27 years, something like that, doesn't mean I don't have to do this at home. You know, I can choose not to worship him. I can choose to not pray. I can choose to not seek him. 
But the thing is, is that that will, firstly, I love him too much to stop. You know, I want to be with my Lord. But no one's exempt. That's the point. Got to keep pressing into him. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Yay. Didn't they do so good? Didn't they do so wonderful? Okay, take a second and just turn around and wave to everyone. You can do the Queen's wave if you like. I don't know. Everybody, everyone, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hello, everyone from home. Hello, everyone here, too. Every Sunday, I come off the stage and I go to the front and I wave at everyone at home. Because if I don't, they all text me and be like, why didn't you wave to me today? So I wave to them. But then I feel bad that I'm leaving everyone else out. So then I go. And uh, all you can see is my eyes because by then my max is back, back on. Um, okay, so I have to introduce you to somebody. Elaine, would you please stand up, honey? <laughs> we had words at home the other day. He beat me to an inch of my life. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He did. <laughs> Frank got it. Um, no, no, Elaine's a gentle, gentle soul. But he was like saying that, were you here the other day when he said, I'm kind of offended she didn't introduce me? Yeah. So there's my husband, 21 years. 21 years. Hey, baby. I appreciate him because he's never been intimidated by me, and I'm, I'm kind of a strong personality. Although I'm really a big teddy bear in, inside, I really am. Like, I'm really soft-hearted. But sometimes I get on a mission, and I think it's just because I'm a city girl. You know, I'm like, let's go. I'm from Toronto. Like, it's similar to New York. Like, I'm on a mission. Let's do this. And it's kind of like people are flying, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt, you know. Um, it's just because I'm on a mission. But um, truly, I, I'm a strong personality. And as a woman of God, it can be hard sometimes because I remember when I first got married, I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't want to be, you know, too strong. I don't want to be. I want to be a submitted wife and all these things. And he had to just deal with me and say, like, you're the personality you are. You're submitted and don't worry about it. You know, and he, he spoke some personal things to me. But um, it can be hard when you have a pulpit ministry call on your life because a lot of the church doesn't like that. And a lot of men can't handle it, but only can. So thanks, babe. He can. He can. Um, today we're going to be talking about corporate worship. And the Lord gave me that topic last week. And um, sure enough, as soon as I wrote down some notes, Pastor Jim texts and says, do you want to take Thursday in the morning next week? And I said, yes, I will. <laughs> um, and I don't actually often speak about worship. I speak about being close to God because that's my heart. I, I think you know, we, we're in a living relationship with the living God. Why not live like we're in a relationship and not like he's just some big figment of our imagination or a big man up in the sky? So I do talk about getting close to the Lord, but I don't often talk about worship. And I think partly because how God's had me do it over the years is just teach by example. So I do it, and then hopefully everyone catches on. They don't always. A couple days ago, um, the Lord gave me a, just a picture, a reminder of something. I was like maybe two or three. It's going to sound funny, and it's going to sound like I'm, really, I'm definitely related to Elaine, but I was sitting on the toilet <laughs> at two or three, you know, and I remember because I was so little that, you know, it's like that age where you just basically learned how to do it your, go yourself. But I remember sitting there and talking to Jesus. 
like other kids had imaginary friends, and I would just sit there and talk to the Lord like he was right with me. I remember taking baths, same thing. I'd be in the in the in the bathroom and it I guess cuz it was just alone, you know. I'm one of three kids and anyway, so I would just be alone as from young as I can remember just talking to Jesus and singing. Like instead of talking, I would sing. My parents would be like, "Jamie, enough," you know. Eventually, when you sing 24/7, it it gets on your nerves. <laughs> well, not mine, but theirs. No. They they loved it, but I mean, let's say we're on a long road trip. Finally, after about six hours, Dad would say, "Jamie, you have to stop singing." Um, and so, because he and I would be the only ones awake in the car. Um, my parents gave me this little man. I I looked for it, and they helped me up last night. We couldn't find it. I know I kept it. It's somewhere in some keepsake box. It's this little figure. He's like on a little podium, this white figure of a man, and he's just raising his arms, and it says, "Jesus loves me." And when I was little, I used to picture that was me. Just I'm, I was just there worshiping Jesus. I didn't even, no one taught me any of this stuff. I just, from a very young age, was sensitive to Jesus, you know, and I thank him for that. Honestly, I know that's not everyone's story. Um, but I just would picture myself like that little man, and I'd be in my room. And when I was a child, I had some hard time sleeping, like um, some insomnia. And uh, I would just sit there, lie there, and talk to Jesus. And I'd get up in the middle of the night, finally, when everyone's asleep except for Dad, and I'd go downstairs, and my dad's sitting there on his chair at 2, 3 in the morning, and he's just in his word. And I didn't know at the time, but I know now that the glory of God was there. Like, I, I, when I look back, I know, I know that I would just sit there in that presence of God with him and just be quiet but, and just enjoy that until eventually I'd kind of get sleepy, and then I'd go back, I'd go to bed. Um, so I don't remember a time kind of like Elaine where God wasn't with me, where I didn't know that God was with me. What started changing was around 10 or 11, I started, instead of singing, instead of talking my prayers, I would sing my prayers to the Lord. So let's say, you know, oh Lord, I had a hard day. I'd be like, Lord, I had a hard day. I need your help right now. Please help me. Like I'd just do that. And eventually what started happening is, God's presence would come and suddenly I'm helped. And like the hard day was gone. Right? So I kind of stumbled upon the benefits of worship just because I would sing to the Lord all the time. (laughs) And he's faithful to his word even when you don't know it. I'm thankful for Pastor Dave being able to teach it through because for people who didn't have the experience that I had, they needed to hear that. They needed to get taught about private worship and intimacy and that sort of thing. I used to think it was weird when people didn't understand, um, like, that God's with you and you can worship him. And people put up a lot of roadblocks, too, in their own lives. Like, oh, I can't do that in church. I can't lift my hands. I can't dance. I can't shout. I can't jump. I can't do all these things. And I, I, I from the youngest age, thought, this is really weird. Like, he's with you and he's alive and... You can't express that. I thought it was strange. Um, I do know people have some hang-ups with that. Um, when I was 16, I started doing worship in church. When I was 18, I started leading worship. My parents had a church um, in Quebec. Do you guys know what Quebec is? It's a province. It's like a state. And it's the French-speaking province in Canada. There's other French pockets, but it's French. And we were an English church in a 
prominently French area, but it was a very bilingual area, so there was English people there. And basically, we had revival. Um, Hundreds of people got saved, healed, delivered, set free. I mean, when I say that, like last night, I I was joking when I said, well, here to midnight, but I could have done that because that's how I came in to leading worship. I came into leading worship, three, four hour services of just worship, and that was totally fine. So um, when I started leading worship, though, I could barely play the piano and I could hardly play and sing at the same time. So I could always sing, but I couldn't play the piano and sing at the same time. And so um, as I just began to do it, God started to train me. And I think what he saw was that I was already worshiping at home. I was already, you know, singing and jumping and praising and dancing in my room with my door closed and he saw my heart. And um, so he began to train me in corporate. And I thank God for my parents who were my pastors at that time. And really, I just I, I appreciate them even to this day so much because they gave me a lot of room to learn and to grow. It's like um, we expect that we expect a lot sometimes of worshipers. And like we forget that when we started preaching, when we started doing anything, we needed to grow, right? So there's room that you need to grow, and they gave me a lot of that. Meaning that sometimes I did things that, okay, was this, are you sure, was this the Lord? But they let me grow and they let me learn. And there's some patterns that are not always, like I don't want you to think today as I'm talking about corporate worship that this is like God is a formula, because he's not a formula. But there are some things and some ways about God where he will move and he will do things. And it's like, oh, yes, I recognize this, not because it's the exact same as I did before, but because I recognize the presence and I recognize that this is similar to what happened before. Oh, and this is what he's doing. And then you just let him do what he needs to do. Right. So as we talk about corporate worship this morning um, and I give you examples similar to Pastor Ron, you know, just giving those private worship moments. That's kind of what I wanted to do with corporate worship is just is like when you're, when everyone you know, when you're wondering what is going on here. This this is what I felt like the Lord was saying today. Let's talk about some practical things um, and hopefully we'll get into the word, too. But I'm just going to be led by him. In terms of what's going on. In corporate worship sometimes. When I started leading worship, the Lord said to me, I want you to worship at, in corporate like you do at home. And at first I was like, no way, man. No way. <laughs> because it's intimate. And what is intimacy? Like, it's supposed to be alone. And God's like, I want you to take that intimacy and that worship that you do at home, and I want you to do it in public. And I was like, what? I, I can't do that. I mean... Let's think of what do you guys feel like when you go to the store and you see people kissing and making out, like, unashamedly. You're like, oh, man, you just, like, ignore it, or you walk away, or you start making fun of it, like, oh, get a room, you know, or whatever you say. Because intimacy in public seems like, you know, it's it's hard. But see, with the relationship that we have with God and with corporate worship, it's like we're taking that intimacy that we do at home, but now we're doing it all together. And at first it can seem weird. And that's, I think, why there's some inhibitions. You know, there's some things that you naturally have to go, I'm just going to do this. Like I'm going to raise my hands and that's it. I mean, God is not going to throw your, thrust your arms up in the air. He's not going to do that. You know, I, I call it dancing, but really it's just jumping in church because 
most people don't dance. Most people just you get excited and you start jumping. And even me, I can't the piano. I I would be jumping way more seriously. I don't know how y'all stand there. Uh, but the piano doesn't come, you know, it needs to be attached to me like those monkeys with the little thing so that, you know, so that I can jump up and down because I just want to move for him. And I know some people can't. OK, so I know that some people are dealing with physical like that's not what I'm talking about. Your heart wants to, but your body says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, you should be, you can be, but you don't. It's not enough to talk about it anymore. That's the thing. We, we, we know, we know what we should be doing. One of the things that I do, this is for somebody, because the Lord told me this just a few minutes ago. Sometimes when I am feeling emotions that are like down or, or not good or whatever, I go home and I put on Zach Williams and I blare that thing like nobody else, like the whole neighborhood can hear. And I start jumping around and praising God. Do I want to do that? Uh-uh. Because I know what it does. Okay, it's not enough to know it though. I have to do it. I have to like get beyond. It doesn't have to be Zach Williams for you. I'm just doing that example. He like just, oh man, he's so good if you haven't heard him. One of his songs is called Fear He Is a Liar. I love it. Fear's a liar. And he, he, he like personifies it too. I love it. Fear He Is a Liar. So sometimes when I'm feeling things I don't want to feel, I don't want to act out of those feelings because I need to be beyond that. But then I do feel feelings. So what do I do? Okay, well, I know what to do, but then I do it. And I don't always do it, okay? It's not like I'm up here perfect and I do everything right. We know that. We know that we're all, you know. But I start jumping and dancing. Do you, why do you think that God would have me do that? Why do you, what do you think that helps? Well, let me just tell you. So one of the things that happens with emotions and with mind is those voices become so loud, whether it's the enemy or whether it's your flesh or what, no matter what it is, they become really loud. When you blare that music, you're not hearing those voices anymore. You're not hearing those thoughts. That's one of the things it does. Okay, now, I'm not saying that you have to, like, be obnoxious with your neighbors. You know what I'm saying. I'm saying turn it up loud enough that those voices get drowned out and you're praising God. You're praising him. You're, you know, tell your body... I'm going to like move around and worship God and praise. And I'll, sh- I'll shout sometimes. <laughs> One time Becca came in from school and I was doing that. She's like, what is going on in here? <laughs> uh, so, but I'm just shouting. I love you, God. I praise you. I praise you. This stuff is not on me. It's not going to stay. And I'm jumping and it doesn't even have to sound pretty. Do you know in corporate worship a long time ago, I had to get over everything sounding right and being right and being perfect. Honestly, you can't always have everything right. When God tells me to shout, it's not going to sound pretty. Shouting is not pretty. Shouting is just shouting. Sometimes God wants us to shout in a corporate setting because there's some religious stuff that needs to drop off of people. My goodness. And by the way, people think that it's only religion on like the Baptist-y type people who like shun the Holy Ghost. But it's not, I say that, who shun who he is and how he operates. Let's say it like that. They don't actually, sh- they believe in, in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They just don't welcome his gifts. But it's also the other end of the charismatic and the Pentecostal sometimes. You know, there is, um, there is definite legit get over your flesh and do stuff. And then there's legit just because you're doing stuff doesn't mean you're in the spirit. Right? Right. But, but here's where we have to get to. 
the backgrounds and our and our like our religious backgrounds or denominational backgrounds or the fear of not wanting to be weird or the concern with not offending or however you want to put a label on it should not stop us from worshiping the way we need to worship. I know. I know it's good. <laughs> so sometimes we share for that. Sometimes we'll be in a quiet place, right? And some somebody will just let out this like guttural cry. And most of us are like, oh my gosh, that's so uncomfortable. I'm not. I, I, honestly, I don't know if anything, anything could happen in a service. Well, okay, that's not true. Pastor Jim once said that there's naked church. I'm like, okay, that is like way beyond people who meet and it's like they're, they have to be naked to go church. No, no, no. That would shock me. But most things would not shock me. But here's what happens. Some of us would be like, well, why are they screaming? Why are they crying? Why are they doing that? I've been in meetings where somebody let out this guttural cry and then like, Across the room, intercession starts breaking out. People are just weeping and praying and like on their knees. But guess what? They needed that trumpet. They needed the alarm. I don't know what it is in the spirit, but God does like that. That's what he does. So our goal is not to be like, oh, you know, why, God, why do you, why do I feel like I'm going to shout right now? No, 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 no. What is he saying to you to do? And then you do it. Like there, like the inhibition of I can't do anything or I'm not allowed. I don't know where. I all I can say it must be religion or it must be things went so hairy at some point that people are like, let me stay far away from that as possible, right? But that's not a reason either. The fear of the counterfeit shouldn't keep us from the real. And so we have to get to this place where okay, I'm not emotionalism but i'm not afraid to do anything and pastors word word for you the worship will only go as far as you allow it for real it will never go beyond where the where the pastor doesn't allow and i thank god that pastor jim gives me a lot of freedom he does um i can do a lot of things and say a lot of things and while i'm up here he just lets me do it you know so i thank god you need pastors like that if your pastor doesn't know how to kind of like going back to the old terms, kind of like ride the waves of what the Holy Spirit is doing, um, you're only going to go so far because when when the pastor takes it back, then it's his authority now, right? I mean, he always has the authority, but when the worship person is is leading, there's a measure of authority on them too. But as soon as the pastor takes it back, that's it. So pastors have to be so like on point, and it can be hard. You know, it can be hard to know exactly when. Because when you start enjoying his presence, especially in a corporate setting or anywhere, you can just keep going like that for hours. Now, this is what I think. It doesn't matter if we go for hours. You know, it's like we got to train ourselves to get there. It's like a runner. I don't like running. At one time in my life, I, I like to exercise. I exercise a lot. I do videos and I do like hit workouts and stuff like that. I do planks and all that stuff. Um, and it, I was an athlete in school, so I just like to keep that up. It makes me feel good. My body feel good. But one time I decided I was going to run. I was going to become a runner. And so I looked up all this stuff on running online. And they give you this schedule of if you want to start running, do you like a little bit of minutes this day and then do that for a week. And then the next week you add more time and more time and more time, right? And eventually you'll be able just to be a runner. Like, Pastor Bronk, the fact that you that you run is just, like, amazing to me because 
I don't like it. <laughs> and I like a lot of things. So I was like, man. Um, but and you would know this, you know, you have to if you stop for a few weeks, what happens? Your endurance goes down a bit. Right. Yeah. So that's what happens in worship, too. And it happened in, in corporate worship. If we want to increase, we got to do it in the increments like that. You know, um, like just a little bit of time, like a few minutes here, a few minutes more. Let it go a little bit longer, a little bit longer this week, a little bit longer. And the worship team, their job is to not panic and to just keep hearing. And then, right. And oh, my gosh, we've been up here. I don't have anything else to say. Ah. Um, and the pastor's job is just, you know, to like just keep going until. Yep. We can do hours now. We can do three, four hours in worship and praise. And in that time, it's going to take on so many different avenues. So one of the things the Lord is saying is I could use this week as an example. So let's go back to Monday night where we get up here and we had songs planned and we didn't sing any song that was planned. Right now, the first song we were supposed to do um, was called In Jesus Name, which we did last night. Like, you know what it is. OK, I was gonna, <laughs> like going to show you my you're not I don't need to do that. OK, we were going to do In Jesus Name and we get up there and I'm, I'm literally standing here and I tell Jason and Alice in Jesus name. And one second later, I was like, no, we're not doing that. So now they think we're doing that. And the, the, thank you, worship team. This worship team, they've just, they've, they learned to just jump in and do whatever. So it's really great. Thank you guys. Um, so what happens is we're up there and the Lord says, no, I just want you to pray in tongues. And I'm, and I, and the, here's the thing. Okay. Here, here's the key guys for, for corporate worship. I had a choice. I could have done in Jesus name and it would have been okay. It would have been good. But it wouldn't have been what God wanted to do. Right? So all I know, I don't know anything else but praying the spirit. So we start praying in the spirit. And of course, I like to sing. So I'm singing in the spirit. We're singing in the spirit. We're doing what, right? And then suddenly what happens is I hear like this tune in my ear. I, I just hear it. Now, okay, I, I, I will admit that's like a worship leader thing. I'm not sure the whole room is getting tunes in their ears. But I'm just saying like I'm hearing this tune and it's like that we were ooing or something. And I was getting this picture of us walking up this mountain, going up this mountain. And so I've learned when I get pictures when I'm leading worship that I need to share that. And I, and I usually share it in song. Sometimes I share it in talk. But the truth is you can't always hear when the person is talking. And if I'm hearing a tune, well, I'm going to sing the tune. So then we're doing this ooing thing. And it's almost like this marching song, like we're marching up the mountain. And I'm always in awe, too. I'm like, Lord, this is amazing what you're doing. Like, I'm just, I'm just following you. Like, I'm just trying to be obedient to the fall, like, to the leadership of what he wants to do. So I'm following and we're ooing and everything. And here's what's happening. There's an anointing that's so powerful. We're barely, all of us are like weeping up here. Well, I don't know if all of us, but a whole bunch of us were weeping. Anna was weeping. Kathy, I'm like, I couldn't even handle it. My whole body was shaking. And I'm like, you cannot sing when you're crying, by the way. Not really. It's just so terrible. And so, we're, we're up here. So I'm like, and I'm like shaking and I'm out of the mic because I'm like, Lord, and I'm just crying and, 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 you know, crying is okay. And I don't know why it's like, that's my thing in the presence of God. I don't know why has been since I was little. I'm with God. I'm just like, Oh, I love you so much. Jesus, Lord, I love you. Hallelujah. And I start, you know, I just cry. It's like my reaction to his presence. It's not because I'm sad. 
So sometimes when you see people crying, some people want to go, oh, are you okay? And rub their back. It's like, leave them alone. They're just with Jesus, you know? Um, <laughs> you don't, don't comfort them. They're, Jesus is comforting them. And so we're up here and we're doing that. And then at some point, it's just like there's this longing. Like there's almost like this week, it's been this progression of every day God reminding us, yes, we're going deeper. Yep, that's it. Yep. Yep, we're not quitting. Yep, we're, we're going, Lord. We're, we're going to go into you. We're going to do it. And he's encouraging us to not give up and to keep going into it. So then we start singing, as the deer pants for the water, because my soul longs after you, and everybody knows it. That's the other thing. God will often choose songs that everybody knows, just because a lot of people don't know how to like shut that down and just worship anyway. And so he does that on purpose because it's like, oh, we can all be in unity with something that's comfortable for people. But then he'll bring it right back to something else, which is what happened that night. And then we start going into this spontaneous worship and this free free worship. So there's different things happening. So there's we're praying and speaking in tongues. Then God begins to give like a prophetic song and like a like a like this marching kind of like we're going up the mountain. And then it's like this declaration of I love you and I give you my all. And then we're going into spontaneous worship, which is different than prophetic because prophetic is birth of the spirit to us and spontaneous is birth within us to him. Okay, so that's what's going on this whole time that we're doing this. And then we're just sitting there and we're all weeping and the presence is like, and Brother Gary comes up here and he starts worshiping. I mean, like you stand up here, it's even stronger, I think. I don't know. I mean, like you get up here and we're all just weeping. Okay. But if I had done in Jesus' name, it would have been good, but that wouldn't have happened. And so there has to be, there must be, there must be going forward. And the reason why I believe God's bringing this up is because we're talking about revival. Revival is now, means it needs to start right now with the corporate worship too. If we want to be led in the spirit, it's not just about, um, I want to be led in the spirit when I pray in tongues. And I want to be led in the spirit when I talk to people in the in the store, although we should be, and that's great. But we should be led of the spirit in corporate worship too, in our gatherings. It's like when the ministers get up here and and like Brother Gary's like, I'm just following, just following the Lord. I'm following the pictures. Why do we do that? Because we want him to be in charge. We want him to be in control. You know, we're in um, the next night, Tuesday night, at the end, again, Brother Gary calls back me back up at night. Was it just me that time? I can't remember half the time. I figured it out the other day. I've done a minimum of 4,000 services that I've led corporate worship. So I was figuring out like three services a week times 25 years, not including all the conferences and everything else. That's about 4,000 services. So I can't always remember what God does. But Monday night 20 years ago was every service for me. We didn't even have songs out. We got to the point where we'd walk up. And we would just start playing and then God would just take over. And yes, it's not that we wouldn't sing or play written songs, but what we would do is we just let him lead it. You know, we just knew a few things and just let him lead chord progressions and everything. And then then we'd be in this three, four hour time slot. And some of it was people on their faces so many times. Actually, God does this like the whole platform, like the whole floor here. People are on their face. Nobody's praying for them. They just, on their face, they're just like, I love you, Lord. They're just bowed down. They're just, you know, in awe of the Lord. And they're just expressing that. So we're here Tuesday night, and and, and I'm singing a couple songs, and then it got really still in here. 
And I've been in meetings like that where it lasts hours and hours. And you're just there and like nobody wants to move. And so why do you think God does that? There's things that he's doing, and I think we know this one. There's things he's doing that we can't possibly preach through or teach enough. He's doing stuff that's between you and him that he just needs to do. There's also a stilling that happens within us and a training of his presence in that time. Because at some point, inevitably, your flesh will want to move, right? But if you continue to stay focused on the spirit, which, again, is that same place that you find in, in private worship, same same God, meaning he doesn't change. He do, He's not like he's one way, he's one God in private worship and then he's another God in corporate worship. The same way that he'd be with you and lead you in private worship is the same way that he wants to be in corporate worship. And so just like your flesh wants to kind of like move and do whatever and start thinking of things and you have to pull it back, same thing that happens during that time. Now, some of you, I know you know this stuff, but some of you don't. And and part of this is going beyond just the knowledge. Like, really, when we're singing a song and it says, I will worship, I will bow down before. Who's ever bowed in church? All the way to the ground. Who's ever done it? Don't put up your hands. <laughs> I know. No, because I, it's not about it's not about pointing out. I'm saying think about these things. Okay, think about it. Why are you? Why have you never bowed down to the Lord in worship? Bible is full, full. I'm talking full, full, full of of Old Testament and even Jesus. There's in Luke 10 talks about Jesus worshiping. And he was leaping and twirling and whirling. That's what the word talks about. Jesus did it. Then we get to heaven and there's like millions of people worshiping Jesus. Millions. And they're bowing down and they're singing holy. So my question to you is, not for the sake of like, oh, do it just because, but what are some things that you sing and they're just words? And we don't bow down. Or, you know, I I lift my up holy hands. Or I surrender all. Do you know that when you're singing, it shouldn't just be words that you really should be picturing these words to the Lord. You really should be singing them like he's right in front of you because he is that face-to-face thing that's happening. (sighs) Thank you, Lord. There was this girl when we were leading worship. I'm not going to say her name in case she's watching, but... um, she uh, she was struggling with, like, her walk with the Lord because she wanted to believe in God, but she didn't really. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. But she came to she came to our youth group, and I just love young people. I do. They're more real than adults, usually, and I just love that. Um, and also, I remember being a teenage, teenager in church, so I get it, you know. Um, I get the pressure and then the growing from being under some your parents to really walking with the Lord. But she said one day she was over at my house and she's like, I've never, I've never experienced the presence of the Lord. And so I said, well, today you're going to experience that. And uh, we went into my living room and I said, we're just going to worship. I'm just going to worship. I'm going to hold your hand. No, I'm gonna, I said, this is what I said. I'm going to worship. And when I know God's there, I'm going to, I'm going to hold your hand. And you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna feel his presence today. And that's what happened. 
And we went into the living room. I just being, I love you, Jesus. I worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as soon as I knew his presence there, I just touched her. And she was shocked because she, oh my gosh. God is that close and that real. John 17 in there, it says we're one with him. We're one with him. That means any time that you engage him, he's already there. Because you're one with him. I'm one with him. We're one with him. We're, we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places. One time the Lord showed me a picture of like Jesus sitting there on his throne. He had this long robe and there was millions of people in the robe. And I don't, only like a vision can happen, you know, because it wasn't like, it didn't look strange or anything. Um, it was like we were small, but not, you know, just like we were all in him. All these people from all the ages. We were just in his robe because we're in him. And I'm like, man, we're seated right there with you. Yeah, we are. And he's in us. And the second, the second that we decide, it's like this. You can be, this is what I tell the kids, the youth all the time. Okay, let's say I'm sitting on the couch. And let's say me and Kathy are sitting beside each other right up here. So we're in each other's presence, similar to what Gary says. But when I want to engage with her and she with me, we turn and we look at each other. We begin to talk with one another. That's what worship is like. God is with us, but we need, it's, it's up to us to turn and engage with him. And on a, on a private level and on a corporate level. That, that's, that's what we need to be doing. And so, um, this little girl, um, unfortunately, um, for a little while, she did, the, the girl that was sitting on my couch, she, um, she went through some terrible things. Um, actually, she was abused by one of the men in the church, not, not our church, but, and so she kind of got mad at God for a while. But years later, when she began to have her own kids, she texted me one day, or I texted her, and I, and I just, out of the blue, I was thinking about her, how are you doing? She said, it's funny that you text me, because now that I have kids, I was thinking how they need to know God. She says, I remember the day when you sat there and I felt God. You don't know. It's not, it, we're not, it's not my job to make her walk with God, but to be faithful to Him, to minister and just be who He's made me to be, and, and you too, right? So what if I had never done, she said, I remember that day I felt God. It's, it's good. The Lord is so real. I don't, I don't get the, I don't get the not real thing. I don't understand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I remember Pastor Dave saying, heard it recently. I know it's old. I've listened to this teaching a while. But he was talking about two ships. Do you remember that one? Well, if you don't, I'll, I'll tell you. But, you know, we're born again. We have this amazing relationship with God where we can fellowship with him and where we can be with him. And a lot of people treat God like they're just in a relationship. And so he says, and he's joking the way he does, you know, there's a ship. And it's the relationship, and it's two people in the same ship, whether they want to be there or not, right? Then the second ship is fellowship, and that's the one where you throw yourself in there because you want to be there. It's such a good good example. 
God is looking for the fellowship. And it's that fellowship that brings the intimacy. And it's that intimacy that, as we do it at home, helps us to enter into stuff in corporate worship that we've never known before. And so one of the things we have to understand is we're not to be afraid of the things that um, God wants to do in us. So it's not about controlling God or managing him. It's, yes, we got to deal with the flesh and we got to deal with demons sometimes, but we don't shut it all down because then we shut down God too. And so what we want to do is we have to learn that things are going to happen. They do, okay? There's going to be people from all different levels of walk come in in revival. And so you can't expect them all to be, like, mature in the Lord. That's that's ridiculous, especially if they just got born again. So sometimes you're going to be in meetings where there's, like, heavy glory or something that's happening. And suddenly a demon's going to fly out there, ah, and they're going to, you know. And I've been in meetings like this. Like, I've already seen all this stuff. Or you're going to see people do stuff in the flesh. It's like, well, that's weird. But the answer is not to shut down what God's doing. The answer is to deal with, I know how to deal with the demon-possessed person who just got delivered and how to minister to them. Oh, I know how to deal with the flesh. I know how to, ma- how to handle that. But we're not to manage God. We're to manage the flesh and we're to deal with the devil. But we're not to manage God. It's his order. That's what we're looking for is his order in the whole service, right? Let's turn to First Corinthians, oh, sorry, First Chronicles 13. And we're just going to, so as you're going to First Chronicles 13, it's not a very long chapter. Um, we're just going to be, we're going to be reading through it because it's not very long. It's only 14 verses. It's in the Old Testament. Who grew up in church and knows all their books of the Bible? I know Pastor Jim does. <laughs> okay, First Chronicles 13. And David, this is when he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, okay? But let's just read it. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of, of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up and all Israel to Baalah, that is Kirjath-Jerim, that belonged to Judah, to which to bring up thence the ark of God of God the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio, oh my goodness, drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, and with singing and harps and psalteries and with timbrels and and cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand, to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, 
Wherefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Okay, first things I want to say is in verse one. Okay, let's just say they're having this. They, they decide we're going to have a party. We're going to have a bringing the ark home party. And it's not just any party. We're going to worship and praise and dance and, and shout and have symbols and worshipers and singers. And we're going to do all this stuff to bring it home. But then somebody dies. David is afraid of God and the ark is not brought, brought home. Okay, so epic fail. This, this praise service, this congregational service didn't work. Even though with all their might they, they danced, even though they had good intentions, even though they, pre- they played and, and sang and did all the things that they should have, right? We're talking about congregational worship. The first problem is you find it in, in verses 1 and 2. And where it says David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seemed good unto you, and so on and so forth. The first problem here is David consulted people and not God about bringing the ark back. His intentions were right. He wanted the ark of the covenant back. They did everything that they needed to do. They gathered all the people. This is a congregational setting. They're worshiping and praising and dancing with all their might, which, by the way, people do on a regular basis. We know that. And then in verse 8, let's just read that. David and all of Israel played before God. That word played means celebration. So they were celebrating before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. They're having a real party. They even, in verse 7, they carried the ark of God in a new cart. No expense spared. Let's build a cart for the ark of the Lord. With all their hearts, they thought that they were doing what was right. David thought he was doing what was right. And he, I think part of the reason why he was displeased, not just because the guy died, because he's like, I'm trying to do this for you, God. What's the deal? And then the guy dies and the, and the ark stays where it, where it is. Okay. And, it, and, and his, what he wanted didn't come to pass. Okay. Let's jump over to chapter 15. I'm not going to read the whole thing, especially a bunch of names because whoa. But verse one, and David made him houses in the city of David. And this is what he did. He prepared a place for the ark of God. And pitched for it a tent. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Da, da, da. That's what they were supposed to be doing. Who are the Levites today? We are, right? We're the priests and the worshipers. And then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord into his place, which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. 
of the sons of Kohath, Uriel, the chief, and his brethren, 120 of the sons of, and it keeps going, and so we're going to jump back over, over to verse 12. All these people, he assembles all these Levites, all these priests, all these worshipers, okay? Verse 12, and he says unto them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel into the place that I've prepared for it. There's a completely different atmosphere now that David is trying to uh, yield to. Okay, so the first one's like, okay, everyone, gather together. We're going to do this. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to have a party. We're going to bring the ark back. Yeah. And in chapter 15, he's like, okay, God, I'm preparing a place for you. How do you want me to do this? Oh, the Levites and the priests. The Levites, the priests are supposed to bring, carry the ark. Oh, okay. Okay, he says, sanctify yourselves. Verse 13, for because ye did it not at the first, as though they had any choice, but anyways, like he's the king, but because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. It's God's order. People often use 1 Corinthians 14.40 to say everything should be done decently in order as a way to excuse anything that is uncomfortable. That's not what that's talking about. We're going to see here in a second that God's order included the dancing and the shouting and the trumpets. But the difference was now he's with them. And that's really the difference between a corporate hoopla worship and a corporate where there's still hoopla but he's in control. That's really what it is. It's that it's that understanding. Anyway, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So verse 14. So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be sing- the singers with instruments and music, psalteries and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice Their voices with joy. Okay, look at all the things that are going on. So the Levites appointed, and then they appointed all those people. Okay, but now we're going to jump to verse 22. All these people, all these worshipers, all these Levites, this is what they're doing. Okay, they're worshiping. Verse 22, and Shenaniah, chief of the Levites, was for song. He was instructed about the song because he was skillful. And Barakiah and Elkanah were doorkeepers for the ark. And Shebaniah and Jehoshaphat, and Nathaniel, and Amasai, and Zechariah, and Benaiah, and Eleazar, the priest, did blow with the trumpets before the ark of God, and Obed-Edom, and Jehiah were doorkeepers for the ark. Look at all the things that they're doing. There's doorkeepers, there's trumpets, there's singers, there's leaders, there's, there's a bunch of things happening. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass... When God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with robes of fine linen, the Levites that bear the Ark and the singers, and Shaniah the master of the song with the singers. David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel, okay, so again, it's congregation, right? Brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. What did they do? Shouting, shouting with sound of the cornet and with trumpets and with cymbals making a noise and psaltery and harps. And let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever been to a kid's music, musical presentation and there's some kid there's just learned how to hit those things? How does that sound? Not very nice. But it, but what it is, it's very loud. 
bang, bang, bang. I mean, they're trumpets. There's like, there's all this stuff happening. Loud doesn't always mean bad, okay? I know that some people, that's just something that we have to get over. But all this stuff is happening. And verse 29, it came to pass as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michal, the daughter of Saul, we know who that is, looking out at a window, saw King David dancing and playing. Again, that word playing is celebrating. But he was dancing, guys, and she despised him in her heart. Now, we know her because of what she did. She was barren from that point forward. Um, I discovered before that later on, like she did have sons previous, but from that point forward, she was barren. And so... When you judge the things of God like that, when you judge worship like that, you need to be careful, okay? Because I'm not saying that uh, like a like a judgment or a curse is coming upon you, but what I am saying is you are putting yourself in a place where you are uh, dishonoring the presence of God, okay? And so you don't want to be there. We don't want to be there. We want to say, okay, Lord, I'm not gonna I'm not going to criticize praise and worship. That's really what it is. Now, to the onlooker, both of these events would have looked the same. They're bringing up the ark. They're praising. They're dancing. They're having this congregational meeting. The difference was verse 26. Let's go there. Just back on chapter 15. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that, the bear, that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that they had offerings. That word helped is the uh, Hebrew word 5826. I'm just going to do what Gary does. <laughs> 5826. It means to protect, to aid, to secure, and to surround. I love that one. Because surround means to enclose on all sides, to envelop, and to be all around you. And that is the presence of the Lord. The first one, there was no presence. They were excited. The second one, there was the presence. And now all the dancing and shouting, whatever, now it's anointed. Doesn't matter. Now it's, now it's God's there. It's not just an emotional thing. God's in the midst of them. And now it's good. So you're allowed to dance and you're allowed to shout. You're allowed to do these things if the Lord is leading you to do it. There's also a difference, by the way. When you're at home, you can kind of get away with things, you know, jump and dance and shout. But in a corporate setting, you do have to be aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing. You don't want to be the one person doing thing, something in the flesh and everyone else is like quiet waiting on God and then suddenly you're like, hallelujah, praise to Jesus. And you know, you start walking. You don't want to be that person. Right? So you have to be constantly aware of the same spirit that's in you that hears when you're at home is the same one that you gotta to listen to when we're, when we're here. But we do know forever settled it should be that we can do these things in the presence of the Lord. As he's leading the difference between one worship service and another worship service is that when the presence of God is there, he's the one that's leading and he's the one that's doing it. Let's take it one step further. And I'm going to end with this chapter 16. This is what I'm after. Okay. This is where I want to go to. So they brought the ark of God, verse one, and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh (laughs) and a flagon of wine. 
And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief next to him, Zechariah, G.I.L. and all those people. I'm just not going to read their names. Um, and they and Asaph made uh, sounds with cymbals. Benaniah also and Jehaziel, the priest with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. OK, so continually. David had set these people up to worship, okay? Now look what happens, verse 7. Then in that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So where do you think that David gets this song from? As he's encountered this fellowship with God, there's this transference God now speaks to him. God gives him a song. And then it goes into it. And it says, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing songs unto him. Talk ye of all his wonderful, wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength continually. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Listen, God begins to speak this. He gives this song to David. David hands it to the worship leader and says, this is what God gave me. Now, you remember, David's a worshiper. I mean, he used to play his harp and he used to sing to the Lord. So what we're after is not just, at least what I'm after, let's say it this way. Okay, we don't, we don't want to be that First Chronicles 13 where it's just all flesh. And we definitely want God's presence and God's leading. But we want it to the point where now God's speaking and we're hearing and we're receiving from him and we're getting the song and we're getting the words. And this is what we're after. OK, but you need first that presence. You need the first Chronicles 15. And then he begins to speak to you. And in this chapter, we're not going to read it all. But this is like word for word, a, a section of Psalm 105. Then if you keep going, it's a section of um, Psalm 96. And then there's another Psalm 106 in there okay and so god gives david all these songs that they can worship to to this day is in the word of god that people worship to and praise to so we want his presence we want his presence yes 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 and then oh god i'm receiving all this stuff from you and and it's not just for worship okay so this yes is congregational worship but when you're in his presence what begins to happen is you're receiving this stuff from him and then oh i'm in the store and, oh, that same place where he speaks to me, oh, my goodness, I just got a word of knowledge for that person. And you walk up to them. This is what the Lord just showed me. Can I pray with you? And then God moves because you've, we've taken time to get into his presence and to hear what he's saying and then to do what he's wanting us to do. Amen? One more final thing. Go to verse 37. Because you have to always be uh, girded underneath with the word of God, okay? Verse 37, so David left the ark of the covenant of the Lord uh, with Asaph and his brethren to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. Listen, that's really uh, so much in there just alone, continually every day, let's go to the Lord, okay? And Obed-Edom with their brethren, three score and eight, 68 people. Obed-Edom, also the son of Jeduthun and Hosa, or whatever they, to be porters, and Zadok the priest, and his brethren the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon. And what did they do? 
to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord upon the altar of the burnt offering continually morning and evening. Number one and two to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commands Israel. True worship, true presence, true hearing from God will always keep your flesh on the altar and exalt the word of God. The second that we start going against that, we're out of order. We're out of order. We need the word. And it's one of the things that God had to do in my life. So you got you remember that when I was young, I was worshiping like this. The stuff that everyone goes, ooh, this is so amazing. I'm like, yes, I've been doing this my whole life. And that's not to diminish anyone else. I just That's what was on me. And I love to worship, okay? But God had to teach me more than just worship. He had to, he had to teach me his word. He had to like strengthen me there. He had to teach me to not care what people think. You know, all these other things that he's been just growing and, and doing in me and obviously some other things too, you know. Um, we need all of it. And Pastor Dave used to say, you know, uh, word can't do for you what worship can. Tongues can't do for you what fasting can. We need it all together. We need it all working together. And so even though this morning is really about a message about corporate worship and how to really let God lead and let his presence lead, okay, and let him speak to us and then just do what he says and really just tarry and learn how to be there, um, it's we, we need more than worship. So I know that. But this morning is just about corporate worship. This morning is about learning how to get into the presence of the Lord and let him be God. You know, let him do what he's going to do. Yes, there's a measure where we pour it to God and we just sing praises and we just from our heart can sing whatever words. But there's a measure where we just go, you know what, Lord, you have your way. And whatever that means, I will do. And in a corporate setting, if you want me to shout, I will shout. And if you want me to dance, I will dance. And if you want me to sing, I'll sing. And if you want me to be quiet, I'll be quiet. And so on and so on. Because our goal is that he's in charge. Right? Amen. Amen. So, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.